Welcome to the second season of Dollars, Dirhams and our two financial cents. This is Abhishek Datta, your host for today. This year we're doing things a little differently. We're going to have multiple hosts and different speakers throughout the season. Today we're going to talk about the future of work with Sara Bueri, an extra special guest. She's the Senior Human Resources Director at the Russell Kemar Tourism Development Authority uh, with a background in organizational psychology from the University of Sydney. Sara has been in the HR and leadership roles in local multinational and government organizations for the last 10 years. Her diverse background and passion for making things more customer friendly and efficient were key factors that led her to think differently and frequently question the status quo, making her a pioneer in her field. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Thank you, Abhishek. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. So tell me, I know you're extremely passionate about your work mm -hmm. and that always comes across. Yeah. Whenever I meet you, I mean, <laughs> a, you, you add some energy to the room that no one else can. So what made you start working in this space? Uh, the HR space, uh, absolute and total luck. It was literally being at the right place at the right time. Uh, my background was in uh, consulting before I joined HR Generalist. I was, um, I was working for a, um, an organizational and culture change um, company. And I decided to leave because I wasn't interested in that role anymore. And I was going to take a few months off work in order to really see what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I know I studied psychology, but I just wanted to get back into the, um, into the professional field. So I actually met up with a friend of mine's friend who needed help with his organizational change. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the right place at the right time. I was sitting down and uh, he was telling me about his company and what he wanted to change and how he wanted to change it. And I was giving him advice. And then a day later, he gave me a call and he said, hey, I want you to be my head of HR. <laughs> I was like, uh, I've never headed HR before. He's like, it's fine. You'll figure it out. You have the character. Go for it. And he gave me that lucky break. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I was 27 at the time. And um, I was scared out of my mind. But uh, I was like, you know what? Let me just do this. And let me, uh, let me see where I'm going to take it from there. And ever since then, it's been like this exponential learning curve where I've been learning on the go. I've had amazing mentors, amazing leaders um, who taught me a lot throughout the way. And here I am. I don't know how many years later. I'm not going to say how many so that you don't know my age. <laughs> Fair enough. But that's fantastic. So, I mean, it, is it a, uh, do you have to be a people person to be good at this job? Um, I think you have to be a decent person to be good at this job. Um, people person, I, I feel like it's such a cliche thing to assume from an HR perspective because it's, it's about being decent. It's about doing the right thing. Uh, maybe not necessarily being able to empathize with an individual, right. but looking at the situation and saying, what's the decent thing to do in this situation? So it's more decency that, that I would... That uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of cliches, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people talk about corporate culture. Yeah. What is that? Is that some fancy term out of MBA or is it does something like that actually exist and does it matter at all? It's, if we talk about company culture, so like the strategy, uh, who's on the team, that's how intelligent a company is. The culture is the heart. Mm -hmm. um, and while you can have a fantastic brain as an individual, if your heart's not working, you're dead, right. essentially. And it's the same thing with companies. Uh, 
company culture is very much a real thing. Uh, you can have an extremely toxic company culture, but you could also have an extremely amazing company culture. And then depending on, uh, or you could just have a neutral company cu culture that gets the job done. I mean, there's so many different varieties of culture. Right. Uh, and does it make a difference? 100%. Um, and it all depends on what your final outcome is. We've heard of companies who have very strict cultures, they're very uh, results-driven, very performance-driven, and they get the results. However, they probably have a lot of resignations, uh, a lot of burnouts that also happen in those kind of um, environments. Mm -hmm. And that's fine if they know that, they're, that that's what they want. They want the results right. before. And usually it's a two-way street. People know what they're getting into. Whereas the flip side is maybe a more relaxed... Um, uh, stress environment where the company focuses more on well-being, on engagement, on how people collaborate, work together. Those companies are usually the companies that you would expect a lot of innovation from, a lot of creativity rather than results. Correct. Um, and usually in those cultures, the more, um, not, not low pace because it's a different kind of pace, but the more inclusive, more um, collaborative environments usually come with lesser resignations and more people who want to collaborate. So it really depends on what you want. There's there's really no right or wrong. So what you're saying is the success is not dependent on the company culture, but it's dependent on how aware you are of what you're getting into at the end, exactly. end of the day. I mean, we all know these companies who have very difficult or um, stressful company cultures, yet the results are there. So it's it, we can't say that if you don't have a great company culture, if you don't have an all-inclusive company culture, you won't get the results. It's not true. Right. People will work no matter where you put them, but it's just a different um, consequence, whichever one you take. And do you think it will matter in the long run? Oh, we know with, with people becoming more independent contractors, mm -hmm. uh, you know, freelancers, how does that translate to that, uh, you know, that environment? I mean, the freelance world isn't for everyone. Um, so, uh, first of all, it definitely it's, it is changing. People are, are now thinking, you know what, I've had two years where I've been working from home. I no longer want to work for anyone else. I'm going to turn into a chef and start my own bakery or like pasta shop. Or So you, you will have those people who will try to be solo and entrepreneurs. But it's, it's also stressful because Correct. you work a lot harder. You, uh, you have to deal with everything. So it's not really for everyone. So will everyone turn into entrepreneurs? I, I doubt it. Will mm -hmm. everyone try and be an entrepreneur at some point? Maybe. So that's not so much the risk. Um, the risk is more, or uh, not a risk, but where I see the, the world going is that people are going to start to demand better uh, benefits, better work-life balance. Uh, so they might not necessarily just work solo, but the companies will have to step up in terms of um, this give and take that they have. So essentially, like independent contractors, who people who work for you know ride-share companies, etc., they mm -hmm. need to offer better terms for otherwise they could move to just another another yeah. organization overnight. Yeah. It's easy, right? Exactly. It's plug and play. So It could be that. Or even if you're in an organization where you're not a freelancer and you're part of that organization, you're no longer bound to this organization. If you're not getting your rights, you're going to leave. Hmm. Um, and you're going to go for a company because there's a lot of different options at this point. And even if you don't find that options, there's so many ways to make your own money that you won't 
just stay somewhere because you're settling. It's kind of uh, that approach. Is that why we see what they call the great resignation, the great resignation. since uh, <laughs> the pandemic started? Everyone's been talking about it. In fact, yesterday, Microsoft came out with a survey on that and they said this trend will continue till 2023 at least. Mm. Is, is that the reason why this is happening? It's funny, when um, a small story on great resignation. <laughs> I had no idea what that was. <laughs> Someone was saying, oh, there's this great resignation term. And I'm like, what is a great resignation? Because our resignation <laughs> keeps going down. So right. we went, uh, we, I think we did a 50% improvement from 2020 to 2021, Correct. another 50% the year after. So personally, I, I haven't experienced it. Um, however, if I were to assume why people are resigning, I would assume that people are resigning because they're working in companies where their needs aren't being met, mm -hmm. where they're not treated like customers of HR. They're treated like, um, because we pay you, you just do whatever we want you to do. And I guess at this point, people are fed up. They realize, I'd rather take a... I, I don't need this lavish life, lifestyle. I'd rather not work in this job, but be happy and live right. a more modest life. Maybe they find other jobs that suit them better. Maybe they have their own jobs. Maybe they're in the NFT world and making millions. That's true. So, so it really does depend. But a huge factor would be how they're being treated in, in the company they're at. Right. So, I mean, you said somewhere that the pandemic is the best thing to happen to the HR world. Would you like to elaborate on that? It's the best thing to have happened to the HR world. I believe that with all my heart. Prior to the pandemic, I used to I used to go up to the CEO of Rec Tourism, and I used to ask for flexi hours, which is just, oh, you know, can they come in at not between nine to nine thirty? And I remember back then, flexi hours was like, no way, it would never happen. So I didn't even want to broach the topic of working from right. home, even though I knew we could, and even though. I knew it would make such a big difference to people's lives. And a lot of them HR people I speak to, like my peers in the industry, all say the same thing. They say that they've proposed work from home years ago and it was shut down. We've all been there. So the pandemic was quite literally the best thing to have happened to us from an HR perspective because we were forced to do it. Correct. So everyone was banished to their homes. No one could leave. We had to work right. because we still had jobs to do. And we don't need to be policed as individuals. Correct. We're all adults at the We're end of the day. We're all adults, exactly. We have a responsibility and um, we know the consequences of failing to meet responsibility. The times, like, the more we follow up and micromanage, the right. less productive we're we actually are because we're like, oh, okay, they sent us this thing to do. I'll just do it once they start following up. They don't, uh, they don't actually uh, take ownership. Correct. Whereas when you give them what they need to do, they take ownership of it and they get the job done. As long as there's consequences and rewards. Correct. So you can't have it that someone's just at home watching TV all day and they don't feel the pressure versus the other, the other way around. So pandemic, best thing to have happened to HR, remote work, trust, um, mental health became a huge, uh, a huge focus. Well-being became a huge focus. Um, it became, the, the employee became the customer. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, the employee was just the means to, the, to, to an end. We didn't really care. I mean, I, I, I generalize, but we were more 
cater towards auditors mm -hmm. than the employees. Mm -hmm. And now it's how do we make this experience better for the employee? How do we care for the employee? How do we make sure that this is as simple as possible? How do we remove bureaucracy? How do we uh, make it more engaging? So that's, that's interesting. That's I mean, so effort. that's why Rack Tourism was voted the happiest place to work in that Emirate. Is that correct? Uh, we were voted the happiest place to work. I mean, definitely for that. But it was a series of things. Uh -huh. I would say... And it's not just that we were voted the happiest place to work. We went, so when I first joined in October 2019, we were the fifth most disengaged uh, entity in, in all of Ras al-Khaimah. Fifth most disengaged. Yeah. So they have a survey for that yeah, every so year? Yeah, so it's like a government survey that goes around. It's an mm -hmm. independent body. And on my first day at work, I realized, or I was told that we're not very happy in the, <laughs> <laughs> in the company. And, uh, and I, I was like, okay. And then six months later, the whole world went into lockdown. I work in tourism. Mm -hmm. I had unhappy employees. I had no customers. I had nothing going on. Um, and yet, in that year, we managed to go from being fifth worst to first best or best. Wow. That's no. And people were always like, oh, that must have, you know, your government, you were able to pay them more or you were able. No, we actually had salary cuts that year. Mm -hmm. uh, we had redundancies that year. Um, what we did differently or, or the reason why I believe we're a great place to work and we're certified as a great place to work is because we believe more in small, consistent actions mm -hmm. and changes, listening to the customer and fast action. So we tend to believe that all people want is more money. It's not the case. Like if I were to ask you, well, you don't have to answer because I know your, your company might, <laughs> might listen to this podcast, but chances are if I were to ask you, what would you want changed in your current role? Your first response will not be more money. No, no, it is more money. I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> um, your first response would probably be like, uh, I don't know, more responsibility or less pressure or uh, more fair working hours. I mean, the list is... Or endless. let me do more podcasts, you know. Or let me... Exactly. You know, more... Uh, make me insta-famous. You know, all of these... Sure. Uh, all of these demands that employees I could have. become an influencer any day. You could become an influencer. You're doing very well, Abhishek. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so we asked our employees, you know, hey, Abhishek, what do you need? How can we make your, your life better? How can we make your life at work better? And... What are we doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And um, they told us. They were very honest. I think at that point they were like fed up. They like, can't get any worse. So they just, as soon as I joined, they told me everything that was going wrong. And it started with small changes. It started with a casual Thursday and donuts day on, uh, on Thursday. And mm -hmm. then it kept progressing. It went from casual Thursday. We then got rid of um, the notifications that you're late uh, right. once people walked in. So it's very small micro changes that we did, but we kept doing them and we kept getting better and we kept getting better. And then people just felt the culture transform. So, so you know, when I was in university, mm -hmm. we had a professor for organizational development and he said, if any of you ever come across as that manager who, who you know, cuts, you know, holidays because, you know, the, the employees come late three days in a week, he's like, I'll personally come <laughs> and I will whip you in front of all of them. Because I don't want to see something like that. So, exactly. And he was very clear that he's like, that's not how you get organizations to be more productive. And, you know, one of the things that I find mm. interesting is that you keep referring to your employees as customers. Mm. I don't think most people realize that 
employees are your internal customers if your internal customers are happy they will make the external customers happy as well exactly. yeah that's it's, yeah. it's fascinating mm-hmm. and speaking on that uh i did read somewhere that you should every hr person should have a best friend in the organization <laughs> why <laughs> so I, your answer should be it's the finance why should the <laughs> business why should the business be on board and be your best friend uh, <laughs> you're reading my profile on linkedin you're cheating yes i i do my research yes <laughs> i think i wrote that like 3 years ago i don't even remember what i said but definitely uh finance and legal <laughs> should be hr's best friend um i thought you meant like an actual person so no. if i if i were to choose a department who's my best friend it would 100% be be finance um legal is more an ally than than anything else but the reason why finance is you need their buy in for a lot of the things that you're doing you need them to buy into them in order to sometimes fund them or um if not fund them also tell you the risks that could potentially happen so they're the kind of um risk meter risk factor but at the same time if they see the results if mm-hmm. you're able to prove the financial results uh they're your biggest ally so i i still remember my my ex cfo uh we did something called lifestyle credit uh which is what my ceo now calls a single person benefit mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not it's it's an all people benefit but um when i spoke to the ex cfo about that he was like sara you know this is a big cost and i fr- reframed and i'm like actually no it's just less of a saving um and then w- th- there was this back and forth and Correct. either numbers don't lie so either i prove hi- his point or he proves mine or his his exactly yeah. um because the numbers don't lie so mm-hmm. if you're able to justify it with metrics and with financial numbers and uh i w- i'm not going to say roi because it's very difficult to prove you know because we did this something that's measurable yeah, yeah just something that's either measurable or or can be felt in some mm. way or another um and usually with finance the way to do that is not to go big but to start with these micro small steps okay so that they feel the culture change and then they buy into it because if you're going to go up to finance and say we're going to spend x amount of money and it's going to make employees happy they're going to look at you and say I don't care if the employees are happy. The results are there. I don't it doesn't matter. I'm not going to spend this. I'd rather either Correct. save it or uh invest it or put it somewhere else. So, when they're able to see through these micro changes, the culture shift mm-hmm. and how it suddenly gets easier to do business with certain uh employees, how it becomes more efficient to do business, faster, uh more fun. When they s- feel it, then they're like, "Hmm, okay." there's something to this culture thing let's invest a bit of money and then that's how you get their their buy in so you you build a business case and you you know with with small steps i think yeah, yeah i think yeah. i think uh, a lot of people can learn from that i'm yeah. sure i mean do you face any other challenges doing something like that i mean is it one thing that i find uh, that most people don't talk to hr openly mm. how do you get them to do that how do you get them to open up and be frank with you at, about what they want I remember when I first started um it was it was the confidentiality aspect of it and mm-hmm. I still remember so with everything that you do you always have the early adopters I think you're an early adopter you told me once right 
Possibly. <laughs> With so, a lot of stuff, yes. Yeah, exactly. So um, from an early adopter perspective, when I first spoke to the employees, you're always going to have that like 5%, 10% who are early adopters. Mm -hmm. But then the 90% are not. Correct. So when I first started with the one-on-ones, the 5% to 10% opened up. And then they like they kind of waited and they're like, okay, let's see if this does remain confidential. Let's see if uh, something happens. Let's see if they retaliate. And then there was no retaliation. But what they saw were, were changes. Mm -hmm. So then they, they went and they said, hey, I think that change happened because I spoke to HR and they took it seriously and they actually listened. So then the next one-on-one -on -one that happened, the 10% now became maybe 30%. So then more people started to open up. Right. And then they waited. And it was the same result where we actually lis listened. There was no retaliation. There was no bullying. There was no harassment that happened afterwards. And then it opened up. And then it opened up. And so how do you get people to open up, have their best interests at heart, um, and be consistent? Mm -hmm. Don't just do it one time and then stop. Right. Just keep doing it, slow and steady. You build the following with slow and steady. That's my, that's my approach with all of these panels and podcasts. Slow and steady until I finally get paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Inshallah, that'll be soon. Thank you, Abhishek. And then you'll invest well, more with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you mentioned uh, lifestyle benefits. Mm -hmm. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on what you did uh, at Ractorism? I would love to. So lifestyle credit is um, probably like my, my golden Signature. star yeah, in, in what I've done. Um, the idea was actually quite simple. Um, in hotels and in the ho hospitality industry, you get different benefits if you're married versus if you're single. I think actually most industries probably Correct. have different benefits, schooling and air tickets and right. that whole thing. Um, but one of the things that happens in hospitality is if you get married, you um, get a bigger housing allowance. Okay. Uh, which to me didn't make sense at the mm -hmm. time. Uh, so I remember like the, someone had just gotten married and they said, uh, oh, okay, I need my, my marriage housing allowance. And I was like, your marriage housing allowance? <laughs> what is that? And I come from a multinational uh, American background where like <laughs> we, we try and save as much money as possible when right. it comes to the employees. So I was still stingy <laughs> and I'm like, mm, I'm not doing this. So I remember going up to the CEO and saying, you know, this doesn't make sense. And he was like, no, I think it's a nice benefit to have. Um, we used to do that in the, in the hotels uh, prior to this. Let's, let's go with it. Okay. And then I, I challenged him and I said, why, does, why do employees who do the exact same work I do end up making more just because they've made a personal choice in life, that they've gotten married? Uh, and he said, no, but it's a, it's a good benefit to have. Why don't you come up with something for the single people? <laughs> I remember thinking, you know what? Challenge accepted. Mm. And the next day, we came up with lifestyle credit. The next day? The next day. Literally less than 24 hours later, I, I probably still have it on record somewhere, um, I presented lifestyle credit to him. And he's, I remember he said, you got this all done in a day? And I'm like, this is injustice. <laughs> <laughs> so I presented lifestyle credit, and it's a very simple concept. Uh, in the UAE, we have something uh, called family status, mm -hmm. which is visa fees and private insurance for three dependents, usually. Okay. Or well, up to three dependents, or maybe even more, depending on your position. And this is an automatic benefit that you get if you're married. 
automatic mm -hmm. uh, if you're married with kids, obviously. So if me as a single, so I'm technically as a single person, I'm, I'm a saving to the company. Correct. Um, and if I, so this, this means that number one, I'm a lot easier to take mm -hmm. because I'm a very cheap resource to other companies. Uh, so the poaching ability is quite high. And then number two, if I were to resign, if they replaced me with anyone married with kids, it's an automatic cost increase. Yeah. Cost increase. So we decided, let's be proactive. Let's not wait until we lose all our single people and then replace them with married people. Um, and in, in a way to make it more fair, especially in terms of like, let's say redundancies right. usually go for the, the more expensive of the employees. We le leveled out the playing field and we said family status, so visa fees and insurance has a dollar value. Mm -hmm. We came up with the dollar value with the help of finance. Um, and then we said, now people will get this lump sum amount mm -hmm. and it's a credit. So it's kind of like a credit card where they spend the money and then they, we reimburse them. Correct. And so it's this pool of money that they can now spend on five different categories. So if you're married with kids, you can spend it on visa fees and insurance, uh, insurance costs. But if you're not married with kids, you could spend it on air tickets, okay. uh, car insurance, uh, life insurance, uh, home insurance, oh. you could spend it on development, so you can spend it on coaching uh, and development, on um, wellness, so uh, meal plans uh, are part of it, gym memberships, um, it, it's, it's pretty much, it's, well, it's five things, so it's, uh, I always get, I always forget, it's development, lifestyle, wellness, Oh my gosh, my HR team's going to kill me. <laughs> They're like, you came up with it. How can you not remember this? But anyways, it's five of them. Right. But it pretty much covers everything except fines, cigarettes. Of course. Shopping. Of course. Those are the three main, uh, I say cigarettes being. Mm. Cigarettes and shopping in the same category. That's interesting though. No, I mean, it's not <laughs> in the same category, but we, don't, we basically cover everything except uh, uh, cigarettes, <laughs> <laughs> cigarettes, fines, uh, grocery shopping, actual shopping. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Even egg freezing, for mm -hmm. example, is covered under the lifestyle credit policy. Wow. So for the, this, the women who are working with us but might not necessarily want to have kids Correct. But now but want to have kids later, we take away that, that um, thing from their mind and they can, right. they can use it since most insurances don't cover for that. Correct. Yeah, that's true. I mean, speaking of insurances, I mean, we we are in the business of, uh, you know, uh, medical insurance mm. and benefits. Mm -hmm. But most of the time we come across uh, clients and companies who, who only look for the cheapest solution. They, they are not keen on finding out the benefits. I, it's like, this is a budget. This is what we want. Mm. Get me the cheapest and the best solution in that. And and that approach, I think, has to change if you 100%. want uh, employees to stick around. Do you have any thoughts on that? I fully agree. Um, it's it's not so much on the insurance. Thing. Like for us, we have a very comprehensive insurance. Mm -hmm. We have um, psychology services, uh, psychiatry services, um, uh, dental, everything. So we, we literally nice. cover all of the holistic uh, aspects. I would, I would think the reason why other companies don't actually, I don't want to assume, but it's purely a cost thing. It mm -hmm. usually becomes a cost thing. So they have a certain budget and they can't exceed it. Sometimes it's in their control, sometimes it's out of their control. 
Um, but I think like with everything, there are ways around it. So there are ways, if, if this is what their employees want, you could maybe come up with different plans right. and the employees could cover it themselves mm-hmm. because I know very well that um, a lot of employees have come up to me sometimes saying, could I increase this and I'll pay for it myself? So they're willing to pay. It's not that. Um, I think it's more to do with asking the employees if they, if they want this. Mm. For me, for example, I always promote all of the benefits that we have as medical insurance. But I would say about 90% of the employees don't actually make use of all of the, the benefits. So it's also finding out who's our target audience, who are our customers, and what actual things do they need from the medical card. Mm. And that's what's missing right now. They're not, they're not asking them what they want. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Is there anything else that you're doing recently that you would like to talk about? Um, so, as you mentioned, we went from being one of the most disengaged entities to the most engaged, most happy, great place to work. The only great place to work in Rasul Well, <laughs> that sounds so wrong. The only certified great place to work in Rasul Khaima. Sounds a bit better. Correct. Um, so, what we want to do now is we want to now expand to the Emirates. Uh, okay. So we have a 2025 sustainability strategy as an Emirate, and we also have a 2030 livability strategy where we okay. want to make Ras al-Khaimah one of the most livable cities in the world. That's interesting. Yeah, it's an amazing strategy. It's actually uh, um, uh, driven by all, all the stakeholders within Ras al-Khaimah. There was a nice signing for the sustainability pledge, for mm-hmm. example, by all of the major government and stakeholders. Um, and the livability strategy is actually being driven by the RAC Media Office, so that's, that's really booming. There's a lot of people there. But um, what we want to do from that aspect is improve the lives of the employees in the Emirates mm-hmm. and really understand from them what's um, affecting them. Like, why won't they stay? We have quite a high attrition rate. I think it's normal in hospitality, in the hospitality industry. But we want to challenge that. We don't want to be normal. We don't Mm want to be the standard attrition or resignation rates. We want to challenge that. And the way to do that is by asking the employees, why are you leaving? And usually, it's not money related. I mean, definitely plays a part, but it's other things. It's um, uh, improving infrastructure, improving the the amenities that are there, improving uh, the medical facilities, schooling. Right. So we have the advantage of being the government regulatory body, and um, our CEO has an incredible relationship with the different stakeholders in Ras al-Khaimah. So we're um, leveraging the, these relationships and our influence with the hotels mm-hmm. in order to try and make their lives better and see if the changes we make will impact their lives in a better way. So I'll give you a small example. We didn't have public transport, a public transport system in Ras al-Khaimah. All right. So employees' lives were autom- is, was automatically more expensive because they had to take taxis everywhere. Correct, yeah. Whereas in Dubai, you have the metro, you have buses, there is a public transportation line. Um, once we found that out, we coordinated very quickly with RAC Transport. And in a matter, I think it's only been... So I called them in January. We're about to launch on the 21st, or they're about to launch on the 21st of March, three bus lines and bus routes across all of Ras al-Khaimah. There's like 54 stops. But that's how fast we are. And that's impressive. Right? Yeah. And it's these micro changes that we're making. And the only way to get there is 
through this collaboration, let's do this together, um, shared success that we're trying to aim at. So look forward to, I, I say 2025, the happiest employees, but uh, actually, you know what? Let's keep it at 2025, the happiest Emirates with all of the happiest employees. In sure. I mean, it, it could be a blueprint for a lot of uh, future cities. Yeah, exactly. Well, but, well, thank you for your time. I think this has been great. Thank you um, so much. I think we've all learned a lot uh, from this. And uh, hope to see you again and catch up soon. Very right. soon. Thank you so much, Abhishek. Thank great. you. Thank you, Sarah.